Welcome to the Scandinavian Mind podcast, our weekly show about how technology is changing the creative industries. Today on the program, the need for beauty tech. We are revisiting our beauty innovation talks in Stockholm from last week, where we hosted a great rooster of speakers from the Nordic beauty scene. We will hear from Sela Rui Lee, founder of Allure, Miroslav Slavic, chairman and Nordic CEO of Foreo, Mika Makio, senior vice president of EMEA Revive, and Marcus Fogel, Senior Director of Global Digital Services at Oriflame Cosmetics. These were wide-ranging conversations. We covered a lot of topics, including the next trends for the beauty industry, why diagnostics is a key word to remember, and how beauty can move to made-to-order, and how to use data to power a customer-centric approach. My name is Konrad Olsson, Editor-in-Chief and Founder of Scandinavian Mind, and with me is my co-pilot in all things beauty innovation, uh, my dear colleague Yuan Magnusson. How are you, Yuan? I'm really good. I'm uh, still uh, thinking back to last week, how, how good it was, the atmosphere, the good feedback afterwards and such. Yeah, it, it, it was clear that uh, people need to come together like this. Uh, I mentioned in my intro, and I, I also wrote about a little bit in our my weekly newsletter that we really want to build a community around uh, talking about the, how the beauty industry can move towards more innovation, more technology, uh, build a more sustainable industry. And um, this is kind of the first, we've, we've done a couple of sessions on beauty innovation in Copenhagen, um, but this is our first one on site at our HQ in, in Stockholm. Uh, it's the first of many. We're actually doing the next one already on at 22nd of November, but judging from like from the vibe afterwards, from 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 the people talking afterwards, just like they were so inspired and so happy that we we did this, uh, so that really reinforced you know the concept. I think uh, I'm really really speaking to to our own cause here. But what what was your impression from from the audience afterwards? Uh, especially the mix of insights and networking. So we will not provide any events with the only networking, but uh, there's there could be a need for it if we if we wanted to. But we also, of course, want to provide those insights, and also from uh, uh, various uh, per- kind of personalities. We had startups represented, we had uh, established uh, industry players represented, and um, data experts uh, at this uh, first beauty innovation talks in Stockholm. So it was a w- wide range of competences. Yeah, I mean, so the concept, the setup of the concept, we had like a, a one hour of insights and talks on stage and one hour of networking session afterwards. It was all on office time, so people can uh, from the industry, uh, you know, cut some time from their work day to do this and get some insights and networking. And that was really, uh, I think, a successful case. And in this podcast episode, we will revisit some of the talks uh, that we did. Uh, and uh, but before we do that. We also had a kind of a rundown of some key macro trends that we've been talking about in the Beauty Innovation Newsletter uh, since the start in the past few few weeks. And I thought we'd uh, take a chance to go through them here before we get into the talks. Uh, Yuan, we had three kind of macro trends uh, we talked about during during the session. Uh, it was about packaging, uh, personalization, and wellness. Let's let's go over them real quick and share some of those insights in this. Episode. Yeah, first I just want to point out that um, 
a lot more about this can, of course, be found in our um, bi-weekly newsletter, Beauty Innovation. And uh, those three macro trends that I pointed out uh, as particularly important are, of course, all crucial for the industry and its uh, survival and um, continuous success. But they're also driven by three things, which I also mentioned on stage. It's uh, the knowledgeable uh, end consumer. So after the pandemic, we were so bored uh, during the pandemics and we got to learn a lot uh, about the ingredients or formulations and uh, and such spending a lot of time uh, with youtube tutorials or yeah getting a bit nerdy about um, yeah new things uh, related to beauty and it's also driven by in indie brands uh, they're pushing the development here and uh, forcing the the bigger players to to act and to improve uh, given the huge competition in the industry, uh, the the smaller uh, uh, up and coming players uh, and the bigger ones they, they're they're forcing each other to the new development, and it's all come down comes down to innovation. That's why our newsletter is called Beauty Innovation. So just want to mention that before. Yeah, I think that provides a good framework for for our our approach, and that kind of, it needs to be reiterated because. I do think we have a new perspective on the industry, and that's that's why uh, we're doing this uh, to begin with. But let's dive into it. Let's let's dive into the first uh, macro trend that we talked about. Yeah, so that was personalization, and that's the major buzzword I would say uh, in the industry when I uh, speak to executives on uh, what's the next big thing, so to say. So we had uh, Nick or NYQ. They already last year talked about. Um, uh, yeah, they're, yeah. just to mention who they are, they're the world's leading consumer intelligence company. And they had this uh, sentence uh, from last year uh, saying that personalization in all forms is now a standard consumers expect from brands and retailers. And um, that quite kind of shows uh, where we're heading. Uh, and it's a must and uh, it's up to the brands themselves uh, how they want to tackle this um, crucial issue but it is a must and it will only grow over time and Ciela will also mention it in this episode the need for it and the, the development in the years to come and of course uh, it's uh, it, it can require a lot of um, uh, a lot of uh, manpower but uh, new technologies like artificial intelligence can also um, make things easier uh, within personalization and um, so that uh, you don't have to have that many uh, em employers in charge of it. No, it was kind of a red thread uh, through all of our speakers at this session talking about this in various ways. And I think that's what's interesting too, that different kind of tools can help in different ways when it comes to personalization and different brands will have to uh, kind of deploy uh, different approaches to it. I mean, it's not like a and one all end all approach. Uh, I think each brand will need different types of tools depending on this, the the product that they are they're they're providing to the market. Yeah, definitely. Let's move on to the second uh, trend, with is, which uh, the macro trend, which is uh, packaging. So we we of course have those numbers with eighty billion uh, plastic bottles thrown away every year only from shampoo and conditioners alone. And um, just in Europe, uh, we have 50,000 packaging producers, and most of them are producing plastic. But there are new uh, innovations uh, coming, and uh, this is one of uh, the keys for uh, indie brands, uh, one of their key claims that they can make 
that they're providing uh, the end consumer or the industry with uh, better packaging because there are no sustainable packaging. We need to go away from packaging made of uh, recycled plastic. We've reported about uh, the Greenpeace report uh, from last June showing um, how hazardous uh, it can be with recycled plastic. So that's not the solution, but we need to come up with um, uh, new innovations here. And of course, the, the Nordics have a unique position with the, our capability of uh, making plastic or bioplastic from our vast forests. We've uh, covered it several times and we will also um, have a feature with the uh, Yangi. Uh, the first uh, Swedish company that secured investment from Chanel and their packaging solution, and we will uh, have it in the coming issue of Beauty Innovation. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think this is so fascinating, and it's obvious that this is going to be a theme for an upcoming Beauty Innovation talks because there are many players to be interviewed and had on stage, a lot of lot of intricacies to go or deeper into uh, on how to make the industry more sustainable through better packaging. All right, let's move on to the third macro trend. That's the one I'm maybe the most curious of because uh, yeah, it's wellness. So we had a TikTok event in in Copenhagen uh, the other week uh, about beauty and it was all about uh, beauty from within. How you can get the right glow from eating the right things or get the right amount of sleep. And it says quite a lot when such a, a big player when they host a beauty event, they all, they all talk about beauty from within. So we've had, a for, of course, a bunch of years where brands have communicated efficacy and um, yeah, certain ingredients or yeah, peeling, retinols, hyaluronic acids and such. While now in the next few years, I believe that, uh, or yeah, not, not only me, but uh, uh, there are certain um, um, signs that we will uh, sh make a shift in the focus to take care of ourselves. So, of course, the pandemic saw a lot of um, uh, struggle with the mental health. And uh, now we will see how beauty and the beauty brands and beauty industry can, can tackle this uh, critical issue. Super interesting. It kind of goes to show also how beauty seeps into other sectors. Kind of the lines are blurring and we're also talking in upcoming sessions about how uh, the lines are blurring between beauty and medical. I know Furio has uh, great insights on that, but I, I, I do see the same kind of trends going towards wellness as well. Mental health uh, and beauty. Um, these have been separate industries, almost separate sectors. I do think they seep into each other. And some of these players, some of these companies that are providing beauty products can actually play a role in developing their, their consumers' overall wellness. I do think it's, a, it's probably a massive business opportunity built into this as well. Yeah, definitely. We're also quite tired of, uh, in social media, this... Um kind of polished uh, accounts uh, that you want to yeah, show uh, a perfect uh, everyday life. Instead, we're more interested mm. in um, yeah, how our everyday lives really are. Uh, and uh, we will see how brands can, can tackle that as well. And uh, for instance, uh, the major brands, they're not, not uh, uh, allowing uh, retouching um, uh, the content pieces uh, uh, produced in, in collaboration with um, the influencers and such. And we had the, 
the retouche stamp in Norway, um, where you need to uh, show if uh, a certain piece or an editorial piece or such is retouched. And um, yeah, we had Mantle on stage uh, at Beauty Innovation Talks in Copenhagen. And they, of course, they're an indie brand with a completely different tone of voice. Uh, showing uh, female empowerment and such, and it will be super important, uh, super interesting to to um, to follow um, how the beauty brands can uh, can tackle the wellness macro trend. Well, thank you, Johan, and thank you for sharing those insights uh, on stage and, and and sharing a shorter version here. Should be said that if you come to Beauty Innovation Talks, you will get these types of insights uh, from us every time so uh also a good reason to show up if you have the opportunity and of course if you subscribe to our newsletter you will get the invite so do that visit scandinavianmind.com slash beauty innovation all right you and let's get into the first talk of of this uh session that we had on stage Sela Rui Lee, founder of Allure, which we have been featured in um, uh, the magazine and newsletter several times, and also Miroslav Slavic, the chairman and founder, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, not the founder, but chairman and Nordic CEO of Furio, uh, which we also recently interviewed the founder, that's why I was meant to say. Um, I think Sela and Miroslav are, were interesting to have on stage on this topic of, of beauty tech, because they kind of represent uh, you know, one startup, Allure, and also one more established company, uh, Foreo, just celebrated a 10th anniversary. Um, you were with me on stage. Uh, is there anything else you want to say when introducing these two characters? No, it was uh, a lot about what I mentioned, how indie brands and the new and emerging brands are uh, pushing the development uh, for bigger players. So as you mentioned, it was it was really nice to have a startup and a more established brand on stage talking new technologies and how they're influencing all parts of the beauty industry. All right, let's hear it. Here's Sela Ruili, founder of Allure, and Miroslav Slavic, chairman and Nordic CEO for Rio. So... We wanted the first session of, of Beauty Innovation Talks to have this overarching theme of beauty tech. And uh, who better to talk about this than you two guys? Uh, I think you both represent uh, two brands that have taken technology to the core of the, the business. Um, uh, Miroslav, you've been going on for, for 10 years now. You actually celebrated your 10 years anniversary this yes. year, so congratulations. Thank you. And uh, Sela, you're of course uh, representing more of a startup, much more new. So I'll start with you, uh, Sela. Uh, just for starters, describe Allure, what you do, and, and kind of your thought going into it. Yes, so, uh, so at Allure, what we do is we offer beauty brands the opportunity to create personalized products on demand with hardware and software. So it's like a 3D printer. You can configure whatever product you want and we formulate it and produce it within five seconds. You can do it in your, your, in your warehouse, you can do it in retail locations. That's what we offer. And um, the reason why I started this um, is quite interesting. I come to Sweden in 2017. Uh, I was in Allianz and it was a time where diversity was celebrated and all of this, you know, black owned brands and, um, yeah, minorities are represented by, for example, foundation. And I was standing on a shelf of 50 shades of foundation. And of course, I'm happy because I'm a minority here. But on the same time, I was thinking, but how 
can they produce and manage all the logistics of every sitting here? I guess everybody understands the Pareto rule, like 80% are not best sellers and 20% are best sellers. So I don't know how you guys that manages, but I was like, I was, I was in robotics, I was in 3D printing. I was like, but this is super easy to solve. What if you just pr produce all the primary colors and you know, print it on the spot? And uh, I've been working on it since five years. Wonderful. And when did you actually uh, launch? Um, so it's actually interesting. We launched as a lipstick brand. So we have our own brand, Allure Lipsticks, where we allow consumers to go to our website and then just configure whatever color you want. It can range from a bright green to blue to any color of nude that you want. Uh, and we are lucky enough to be reached out by the biggest retailer in the United States. And they were like, but guys, the technology is amazing. Can you come here and show us what you have? And we want to try this. And that was like the wake up moment for us, like, but we should do this B2B. So nowadays we work with a lot of other brands. Uh, you don't see it so much now in the market because a lot of them are still top secret, uh, but we do have a perfume, a foundation, lipstick, and also new products. And I hope very soon you're gonna see it everywhere in Sweden. Wonderful. Uh, I, what I really like about your story, and and uh, we did an interview with you for our latest uh, print magazine, is that you the the story and your approach it kind of combines both kind of a thoughtfulness around sustainability, uh, an innovative mind where you thought we have to do something differently and then apply technology to that. Can you talk a little bit about the the kind of sustainability uh, upsides of 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 the solution. Yes, definitely. So it is it is my personal driving force why we are doing this. So um, I would probably start with the sustainability, um, the sustainable or the waste hierarchy. So as I really agree with Johan when you say recyclable plastic is not the future because when you think about sustainability, it is refuse, reuse, recycle, right? And then waste. But we can't, as a beauty brand, we cannot tell our consumer don't buy this, <laughs> that would be suicidal. And um, reuse is also talked about, but um, yeah. So if we think following this structure, how can you, it's not about reusing, it's not about telling them to not buy it, it's about helping them to get more value and create more valuable products for the consumer so that we don't have to push them to buy mass product that everybody probably know that wait on your bathroom shelf and you don't really touch them. Uh, that's what we want to do. And personalization, it's such a, um, I would say, important element in this because it gives value to the product. It's not a, it's not a shampoo you buy from the shelf anymore. It's a shampoo that you co-created with the algorithm, the AI, with technology. And you say, okay, my hair is, dark, it's brownish, um, I have oily scalp, and I live in Sweden, which is very dry. And what kind of shampoo do I get? And this kind of interaction, this kind of, you know, um, co-creation create a lot of value for, for the consumer. And just imagine the retention that this can create. Um, um, so I guess, you know, um, if we talk about that we want to let the society go into more reusable product, go into more valuable and use them, how to say, the product per use will be increased, then you definitely would need to help the consumer to find 
themselves to find value in the product itself. Wonderful. I want to hear more about your internationalization and working with different markets, but I want to uh, let in you, Miroslav. Uh, again, we mentioned you're celebrating 10 years, yep. uh, massively successful company. Um, uh, looking back at, at building this, uh, what have been some of, of the learnings, do you say, uh, that comes to mind? Wow. <laughs> Good question. Uh, learnings. Um, first of all, um, we are a team of people that strongly believe in something. Mm. So uh, I would not say that we don't learn <laughs> on the way, but we have, um, we have um, focused so much on our innovation and on that belief that we have, so we have not been looking on the right and the left side. Right. Uh, it's, uh, I think the learnings has been uh, mostly that uh, what we have been already more than 10 years ago experiencing is that the digital era is going to take over more and more and more and and we strongly believe that it has to uh, because we need to be even more digital than we are we need to let in the digital uh, to take over more and more of the of the production or, 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 or if we look at the environmental part of the, the business, uh, so we push more and more into the digital uh, so, we can, so we can skip the production and, and uh, get the environmentally friendly environment that we all are looking for. Right. So the learnings, I would say, is the digital. The learnings are also maybe uh, we... Uh, Johan talked about the pandemic uh, that we have been back home and watching the YouTubes and uh, and I think everybody has done that a lot. Uh, so it's uh, and we learn more and more um, about everything. Uh, but still, uh, even if you know the people out there is more and more educated, uh, then we as an innovation company needs to be on the forefront and give people the innovation that they actually want. So not giving them as a market research company what they want. So not the bad buzzwords as you were talking about, not that. We need to give them the innovation. We need to give them the real solution. And that's all about innovation company. So as an innovation company, we think that innovation is driving the humanity uh, forward mm. without innovation we are standing still. Um, I mean, tech was kind of at the core, has been at the core of your company since the start. Maybe you can describe the, some of the product lines and how you've developed them over, the, over these years. Well, uh, the first product that we released is the, is the Luna. Uh, and actually that was not meant to be the first product to release. That was meant to be the second or third product. The first product was much more of an innovation product, more technical product, so more a beauty tech product. But, but uh, uh, we, we realized that, okay, if we want to make a difference, if we want to make a statement to people to see us and to experience us, we need to give them something easier. You know, the first product needs to be an easy product. So Luna was a really easy product. Mm. You're cleaning your face. That's very easy. You need a cleanser and let's go. You know? uh, and we succeeded in that. 
<laughs> actually. So, so what we you know, did after that was, okay, now we have uh, a brand, now we are on the market, let's give people the innovation. So a lot of innovation that we are bringing out is, is, is uh, uh, absolutely a, a part of this digital thinking that we have that we need to, you know, we, we try to connect the medical and the beauty. We are, we are very optimistic, you know, for the, for the future. Yeah. yeah, I wanted think, to ask about that because yeah. this is something you've been talking about uh, lately more and more. Yep. Talk about how you see this road forward and, and why use the term medical. No, we, uh, looking forward, we need, to, we need to get more and more products that will solve problems, you know. Uh, as you said, John, self-medication is something else. Uh, you know, we can, we can, you know, put on smell and texture and stuff, you know, to really feel good at the moment, but we don't solve the problem, maybe. Uh, so the medical part, as a medical uh, as a medical device is what it is you know we don't need to invent that you know that that's that you can google that uh, uh, medical device is uh, based on uh, diagnostics and and the solution to the problem so uh, that's a medical device and you need to have specific uh, certificates for of course for having a medical device uh, so all our products are medical devices uh, you could say not all but i think pretty much all uh, so when we say medical and beauty needs to go together, it will go together in the next coming years and create something really valuable to our audiences that we will solve the solution, solve the problem. Uh, we have a problem with uh, whatever it can be, but we need first to diagnose it. Having a cream on the face will, you know, that's a self-medication. But what you actually need, 99.99%, is uh, cleansing, and you need moisturizing, and you need the sunscreen. Then you're covered, 99.99%. Uh, but have you actually solved the problem if you have some issues? No. So you have to diagnose it exactly as you need to diagnose anything else. Our, our products uh, that is coming and that we already have, like the bear or, or whatever, is making a, a, a that diagnose of the face. The, the artificial intelligence is making the, 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 the solution, and then we have, uh, uh, or you know, solving the problem. So that's what we see is coming, and uh, not only coming, we are driving that. Right. Uh, so we are driving the market into that also as well, because we need, we really think it's needed. Yeah, and that goes into this whole notion of personalization also. Absolutely. Am I right? Because Absolutely. the diagnostics is individual. Absolutely. And that's, you know, all our products are connected to, to an app. So that's where the personalization comes. Mm. Can you talk at all about, I mean, you've been around now for 10 years. Uh, you have massive customer base all over the world. Um, how... Do you use data to help with this personalization? Is, is there anything you can, you can reveal in, in how you handle that? Well, you know, of course, the, the, all the customers that we have, we have probably, you know, I don't know the number right now, but 40, 50 million customers in our customer base uh, as today. Uh, only in one year, 2017, I think we sold 20 million products to 
to like 17 billion people or something like that. So it's, 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 a lot. it's quite a lot. <laughs> it's a huge customer base. So we can actually use that. We're talking to them and you know, we collect all the data, of course, but we, we, also, we also collect data from, from other places. Uh, and we also collect data from scientists and we also collect data from our partners and so on. So all these data, of course, will, will end up uh, to, to make, to make uh, the, the solution better. I want to uh, talk to both of you about kind of working internationally because obviously Miroslav, you've, you've done it quite a lot with Forio. Uh, um, Sela, uh, you mentioned biggest clients in the US. Uh, can you say anything about the approach or, or different expectations that your solution has in different markets? I know you both book in Europe and US, maybe not so much Asia uh, yet. But, yes, yes. Um, any reflections there? Yeah, I would say that, um, I mean, it's, it's interesting because uh, a brand in the U.S. would face a much more diverse consumer base. They would need to, they, they have to by default have 50 shades of foundation, else they will not survive. And here it could be much easier, although I would say uh, it would change, of course. Uh, so brands in the U.S. are much, in the, or in one way, they, they, they focus a lot more on inclusiveness and trying to help the consumer to become more creative with their own product and it fits with us very well. And another thing is that they really invest in innovation and they're quite forward thinking, probably also because it has a massive consumer base and brands have a lot of capital to uh, maneuver. Um, yeah, but here when we talk, let's say if we talk to a Swedish brand and uh, uh, most of them would be very interested and then we'll be asked, okay, but do you have a reference case? It's like, yes, but how long has it been running? We're like, oh, it's not so long yet, but can you come to back to us in a year? Then we'll be more interested. But like, it's, it's going to come. I, I'm, I'm trying to say that, like, for example, in Korea, you can now go to High Street. You can go to a store. I think it's, it's a huge brand there called Lunch. And you could have a customary foundation in every Korean street. And the same goes for Japan. A lot of US um, startups are doing like robots with nails and so on. And we don't see anything here. And I think we should try to be more daring and, you know, we encourage or embrace a bit more changes so that, uh, you know, we don't fall behind. What do you say, Miroslav? Should we be more daring in the Nordics? Yeah, or? of course, of course, <laughs> you know, absolutely. Uh, if we look at the global market, you know, there is, you know, the, the, the Asian market is much more curious, much more, uh, you know, uh, trying, want to try, want to have new innovations, looking for new innovations. Uh, I would say, I would say Asia, especially China, uh, I would say US after that, and Europe in the last place, and we in the Nordic, we, are like, we just sit back and <laughs> relax and think everything is like going the right way. You know? <laughs> but, but of course, we, we, we have good innovations here, you know, you know, come on, we are from Sweden, so it's, uh, we, we, we can drive innovations, but I think, we need to be more curious, mm. uh, and that's uh, uh, that's something that maybe I don't know in our mentality is something that we think it's a little bit embarrassing, or I, I don't know, I don't know, something like that. What, but in terms of, of technologies, I mean curiosity and, and being on the forefront. But you know, the Nordics are known for being on the sort of yeah. tech savvy and so yeah. forth. Do you think that's uh, the case uh, from a beauty perspective as well? Yeah, maybe. Big because, side there. <laughs> yeah, because probably yes, because 
because we are from Sweden, so we are driving that. But but if we look at, you know, if we look at the, the big picture, uh, it's Asia. It's the, you know, the, the innovation comes from there, and and exactly as like you know like whatever thirty years ago, uh, when I was or forty years ago maybe when I was a teenager, uh, you know, a lot of things came from U.S. So all the new stuff, everything was coming from new US and then it comes to Europe and we didn't even we didn't even know that you know Asia existed probably. I don't know. Nobody was there. You know? <laughs> so it's, but uh, but nowadays it's not like that. You know, all the innovations, all the new stuff comes from the, the from, from the Asian market, from China, and then it comes to US and then it comes to Europe. So it's you know we're like the last but but with that said, you know, still, you know, hey we got you know Spotify and all these big tech Companies, so it's we're really good at that, and, and Stockholm is uh, uh, absolutely a big uh, tech hub. We can see that. So, in, in your interactions with different retailers from around the world, how do you think uh, the Nordics fare? Well, I have to be honest. I would Please. not say in the Nordics people are the most forward-thinking, but I would take this comparison. If you think about, I mean, it's 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 interesting. The the company with the largest market cap in Europe is LVMH, and LVMH survives on legacy, on luxury, on history, and I mean, I personally, I love that about Europe, uh, and I don't think this is something that people should forget, but there's also a downside of it. With, you know, prestige history being so important, people kind of, you know, move slower, become more careful when they move forward, it's like, okay, it is kind of like Europe's opinion about AI, right? We're, European Parliament is the first one to launch any legislations about AI. It's about like, okay, do, do we want to go very fast? In China, we go very fast, but we sometimes make mistakes. But here it's like, okay, let's take it slow, let's have discussion and you know, see how things are going. Maybe in the end, we are slower, but it still goes the right way. But I would say in, it, it won't go super wrong in beauty. I would say that consumers, it does, we, we won't say that European consumers are less curious or less uh, eager to try new things. It could be maybe that the legacy is more dominant and the consideration of legacy is more important here. But, you know, in, in order to have growth and talking about D2C brands, new brands bringing so much, having so, so much higher growth than the conglomerates, older brands, uh, maybe there is some fact to it, and uh, that's what we need to learn from it. But, 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 but I would like to say, you know, when people ask these questions, it's always about we here or, or them there or, or, or like that. that. That's not the case. Um, that's not the case. We are, uh, we are together on this planet. Uh, and if if we didn't have uh, an innovation center based in Stockholm and in Shanghai, we would never come to all these innovations that we have. If we didn't, if we didn't have from start, we had fifteen different nationalities. Now we are forty-five in the company. If we didn't have these fifteen from start, because that you know it was I don't remember, but let's say fifty, sixty people in the company. Uh, we, we would never have this innovation and this company that we have. So we're talking about, you know, all these different innovations, but, you know, Spotify would never survive if they're only based in Stockholm. They are in LA or wherever he is in San Francisco, I don't know. Uh, you know, so, uh, so without US, he would never survive. 
Um, and that, that comes to all innovation companies. You, you need to be really a global citizen. If you're not, you're just stuck in this, you know, we are here and they are there, and that, you know, just cut that. Uh, and we need to behave as, you know, a big, big family across the globe. Uh, so at, at this moment, we have 3,500 employees, 45 nationalities. You know, we, can, we know everything about everybody. Uh, and we have 35 offices around the world. So we can really say, okay, let's do this there. What about that? What about that? So the database for us is extremely important to understand. Johan, I want to bring you in uh, at the end here to give your insights. You've been covering both these companies uh, in, in, in the newsletter. Um, what are some of your comments and perhaps uh, questions to the panel as well? I think uh, it says something that your uh, co-CEO, Philip, yep. he, he's based in Hong Kong. Yes, he, he was, actually. Okay. He actually moved uh, the 1st of September to Portugal. Oh, yes. So he was, he was actually in Shanghai the first 15, 16 years uh, of, you know, from 2000, whatever, five, four or five. Yeah. And then he moved to Hong Kong three years ago, something like that, before the pandemic. And now he moved to, to Portugal. Uh, he's a true global citizen. He can live wherever. He lived, of course, he's from Sweden. He lived in Sweden before that. And he lived also in Austria and Germany and U.S. Yeah. So, so it doesn't matter where you are. No. You know, you just... no, but he told me when I interviewed him uh, how how far ahead uh, Asia is yeah. and yeah. Uh, also how far behind Europe and the Nordics are. Yeah. And that was an eye-opener because we, we tend to pride ourselves how much in the forefront we are at everything, which is true to a certain extent, Absolutely. but uh, you can't compare it. If you look at personalization, the biggest retailers and, or e-tailers in beauty in uh, Asian countries, they have several hundreds of employees only working with personalized shopping tips. Yeah. And uh, the next steps for the major beauty brands might be to open their own Amazon page and hire their own stuff in order to increase conversion and uh, co consumer loyalty. Exactly. And that's, com that's personalization. That's why I say it's a buzzword. It, it will only continue to grow because when the major players decide, startups like you, you're not a startup, but uh, <laughs> you, indie brands, you, you, you push the major brands and their R&D the, uh, departments uh, to evolve and to innovate. And together, that's what drives the industry forward. Mm. Wonderful. Uh, I'm gonna actually gonna let you go, Johan, because you need to hand over the mic to Marcus in our next uh, session. Uh, and I'll end with, with a question to you, uh, Sela, or both of you. Uh, let's look in the crystal bowl a little bit. Uh, what's, what's happening around the corner? Uh, Sela, do you, do you, what, what's your forecast for the beauty industry in the, in the near term? Yeah, uh, that's interesting. That's something I try to figure out every day. Um, looking at what when we talk to retailers around the world and brands and i i don't have a, i'm not a fortune teller but i do have two hypotheses so uh i mean one is that we will go fully digital and the the how to say the retail the physical retail would be more and more like experience place where people just try stuff and then most of purchase would happen on the e-commerce space and we, and intertwined with what we have is, is like, because of the, uh, probably you know about e-commerce and the endless shelf theory, because e-commerce has so much more to offer than the limited space in the retail place. 
Um, that's one possibility. And uh, I, I would say that, uh, to add on that is that nowadays we have the, let's say the logistic hubs or the, uh, how, what is it, third party logistic partners that you can just put your stock there and then ship it all over the place. But I believe that in the future, this would be automated uh, fulfillment centers where you just need to put cartridges of raw materials and then custom-made stuff will be sent. This will be much more efficient and this would be um, one possibility of the future. And the other one would be that retail and e-commerce would coexist, but there will be a much more exper um, how to say, a, a much higher hypo um, how to say, concentration on uh, retail because we see the bounce back after the pandemic, that people do want to try how does the cream feel on my face, uh, on my on my hand, or how does the foundation color look, right? It, so it will not disappear, but uh, retail places would be changed and shaped into, let's say, I would imagine mini factories where you have different, again, you have raw materials coming in and then products coming out. And as a brand, it's really interesting to think about, okay, who do I stand for then in five to 10 years as a brand, as we use all almost the same ingredients, the same elements, but then what do I create as a brand to give this experience of co-creation and impress my consumer with a product that can create long lasting retention? And, and I will end with this. Uh, so someone asked Elon Musk, uh, or this is the saying by Elon Musk, it's like, if we were to invent cars nowadays, we will not start with gas engines, we go directly to EV. And I would say, if we were to reinvent cosmetic industries nowadays, we will not go from producer redistribution, uh, retail, and then waiting for products to sell on the shelf, and you know, sadly, some of them don't and get buried. It would go directly to on demand, because this makes much more sense, and uh, hopefully we'll make a turn. That is correct. Wonderful. Miroslav, I know you're planning years ahead. I know you're probably two, three years ahead in your planning of what's happening with Furio. Is there anything yeah. you can say about uh, what's in store, or how do you think the, the market will evolve? I, I, I would just, uh, you know, I, it's a very broad uh, answer, but let's keep it very simple. Diagnostics. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's number one. Uh, digital, of course, that's connected. That's it. That's what we need to do. Because, you know, if we are, if we are, uh, if we are thinking about doing something good for our kids, or for you guys, doesn't matter, because I'm older probably, so it's for my kids. Uh, then we need to, to uh, do a little bit of this piece that Greta started, you know, <laughs> save the planet a little bit. And we can't do that if we just, you know, produce things, produce things, and just, you know, catch the buzzwords and, okay, let's produce this, let's do this, let's do this. This is what the people want, this is what the people, we have to solve the problem. So we need diagnostics. And that will absolutely be the future. 100%. Miroslav Slavic from Forio and Sela Louis Lee from Allure. A round of applause. All right, that was Sela Louis Lee from Allure and Miroslav Slavic from Forio on stage at Beauty Innovation Talks in Stockholm last week. 
All right, Yuan, let's get into the last session of the day. We had, of course, our partners of the event was the Finnish uh, beauty tech company, Revive, which we were very happy to uh, uh, co-host this event with. So we were able to do uh, create a session together with one of their senior vice presidents, Mika Macchio, and Marcus Fogel, one of Revive's uh, customers, let's say. Uh, from from Oriflame in Stockholm, and they were talking about how they work together and how they're utilizing uh, Revive's technology to make uh, you know a much more um, personalized uh, experience for their consumer. Yeah, really nice to have Revive with us. We've featured them many times uh, in our publication and uh, online. And uh, of course, it's uh, it can be a bit hard to comprehend those uh, new cutting-edge technologies. AI, AR, Yen AI. So that was also why it was quite interesting or very interesting to, to have like a case study where Oriflame could show how it has improved their daily operations and the return of investment Mm. and such. Yeah, it was also super interesting to talk about how data can help with developing the businesses. I mean, there there are long-term opportunities. If you gather more data on the consumer, if you scan their skins, get a lot of different diagnostics in the system, that helps with uh, developing new products, new processes, developing the customer experience, and and it was really good talking uh, about that in this session. So so let's get into it. This is now uh, Mika Macchio, uh, senior vice president of EMA of Revive, and Marcus Fogel, senior director of global digital services Oriflame Cosmetics. Enjoy. I mean, we're here to talk about using data to to power what we call a customer centric approach. We talked a lot about personalization and these topics earlier in, in this session. We'll go into it here as well. But maybe start with, with describing uh, the work you do with Revive and give an overview of, of the company. Yeah, of course. So at Revive, um, we founded out of Helsinki, Finland, uh, where we don't really have any business. So quite global customers overall. Uh, there's a few, few logos on this, this list as well. Of course, in Sweden, we work with Kix. We work with Oriflame. We'll talk about that a bit more, more in the future uh, as well. But... Overall, everything that we do as a company, we do different digital beauty experiences powered by AR, AI. I'll go into practical world of what that actually means. Uh, but working with companies like Shiseido out of Japan, with a lot of US customers as well. So for us as well, there's been a lot of talk today around kind of where Nordics is a bit behind. Yeah, for us as well, our kind of customers are Japan, Korea, India, US a bit of France and UK and so forth. Of course, Nordic's a bit smaller market as well, but that's really where a lot of the innovation comes from and where, where we do a lot of our work as well. Um, so what we do with these logos that you see on the screen as well, we power different skincare, hair care, makeup experiences. We do skin diagnostics, mobile skin diagnostics. We do makeup virtual try on, but kind of overarching team for us is different digital kind of beauty experiences overall. And if we think about the kind of market, kind of talking about it quickly, I think everyone is talking about customer experience and how that is becoming more and more ex- like important in the consumer space. Some stats on the slides here as well. But I think overall, what we always want to emphasize that these AR, AI experiences, 
they're not just some gimmicky avatars in metaverse that you try and then forget and don't get any results and do a bit of PR. We see a lot of that in the news, but how we've been successful as a quite young company, we've been around since 2016, we've been pretty successful in terms of how do you actually integrate that AR, AI experiences into your day-to-day -day business. And I think Oriflame, we'll talk more about them today. They are one really good example of, it's not just some standalone metaverse AR trial that you're gonna do, but how you actually embed that as part of your business and then get really tangible results. That's kind of what it's all about. So whether it's conversion, whether it's average basket size, getting those <laughs> improved, whether it's collecting zero-party data, those are really kind of the tangible things that we are working with our customers overall. And, and if you think about data, just a practical example, we have one US customer that we've been working with for, I think, three, four years now. Um, they've run through our solution. They have a skincare advisor, skin diagnostics, product recommendations powered by Revive. They've run through 10 million clients through that solution. For those 10 million clients, they know their primary skin concerns, their secondary skin concerns, we have 12 different metrics from their image analysis. We have their location. And what they're doing with that 10 million data set is building bundles of products, doing promotions, doing retargeting when they launch new products. So that data part of it is really something that drives a lot of the value out of these AR experiences. It's not just a virtual try on an e-commerce store to try on products necessarily. There's quite a lot of more fundamental stuff behind there as well. So those are kind of the couple of things that, that we do as a business and from Oriflame you'll learn a bit more on, on kind of what that actually means. A lot of animations in this slide, so I don't even know when they're, when they're finished. <laughs> well, <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, I think jumping into Oriflame, I think that will be a good practical example as well. Um, here in the audience as well, I have Jason and, and Johanna from my team. Uh, they'll be around here as well. They're working with the likes of Shishados and Kicks and Oriflame and can tell a lot of practical examples of how these companies leverage leverage the tech as well. Wonderful. Let, let's let's get into it. Let's get into this project you've done uh, together. And Marcus, you are of course then a, a customer to Revive and and, but first maybe we give a little bit of an overview of, of Oriflame and where you come from, so we get a right. some context. A lot of people here in the audience know about you, but but let's fresh let's freshen it up. Yeah. So uh, first of all, then Oriflame is a beauty company designed for well-being because we also have a wellness range. Uh, and I know we have a couple of people that actually work with designing our products in this room as well. So uh, correct me if I say something wrong, maybe now or afterwards. <laughs> we'll uh, do it over drinks later. <laughs> right. Uh, so Oriflame is a beauty company. And obviously what we will mainly speak about today is the, the middle category here, the skincare. Because that is, uh, I mean, that's why, why we have our partnership so far. A uh, little bit background on Oriflame and who we are. It's uh, we're present in about sixty countries. A very small part of that uh, of our sales is actually happening in Sweden. It's about a little bit less than one billion euros in sales every year. Thirty-five million orders or so are processed online, which is ninety-eight percent of our total business. Uh, which means that our uh, processes are already digitalized, but our business model is perhaps not fully digital although such large part of our activity is online. Uh, we have 1,500 products, and what's important in this setting as well, and especially why, why we have had such uh, benefit from the Revive solution, is that we are 
selling our products exclusively through our 2.1 million brand partners around the world. Um, that means that in a digitalized society, we really need to make sure that we have an ambitious uh, digital strategy. We provide our brand partners with the digital tools that they need to drive their business forward. Because growth is the only way forward, otherwise uh, any company that, uh, that does not keep up with the digital trends and digitalize their business models as a whole, not only in the processes, uh, they will slowly but surely die out. And so, so this is then a very brief summary of our, our digital ecosystem that we have. First of all, we have our shopping experience. We have an app that is used by about uh, 800,000 people every month uh, to place the orders. About 40% of our business goes through our app. Then we have a business app as well, uh, where we help our brand partners to grow their business, where their coach is kind of like a mini CRM that, uh, that then coaches them how to sell, how to recruit new brand partners, and how to get the most out of their partnership with Oriflame. Uh, and lately we have also added the perfect start because it's really important in especially the way that, uh, that uh, business has been digitalized in the last couple of years. You have to get a, what we call a perfect start. You have to get moving quickly and start making money quickly when you do business with Oriflame. Uh, so that is why all the initial activities are geared towards getting started as smoothly as possible. Uh, and then if, if we move into uh, why we're really here and what, what, uh, what we have done together with Revive is then background is here, Novage Plus. Uh, it's a skincare range. It's the biggest product launch in 2023 that went, uh, we started selling it in the beginning of this year. Uh, it's, uh, it's pretty much about what we have spoken about here before today. It's cosmeceuticals, it's skincare products with a kind of pharmaceutical impact or effect. It's green science and green packaging. And it's all about personalization or customization. And that is then uh, where the idea of beauty tech comes in. And we have then partnered with Revive in making this Novage Plus, which is then the, the name of the skincare brand, the ecosystem is made out of several different digital touch points that we built up, both to create awareness of the product range, how it works and what's it about, then to drive the purchase. And also, once we have made people buying it, it's about building loyalty for the product. So that is what you see here uh, in front of you. And uh, now we'll focus a little bit more about the point to your to the very right, the digital skin advisor. And this is then what we call, and we mentioned diagnostics as one of the, the current trends already earlier. So the Novage Plus Diagnostics tool. So this is then a tool that combines, uh, first of all, the, the answers to questions by the subject or the person that's supposed to buy the skincare products or the beauty routine that Oriflame is selling. Uh, a set of about 10, 12 questions, uh, and then combines with uh, skin analysis done by your mobile or PC camera. Uh, and out of that, using AI diagnostics and all the data points that we have collected since before, we make a personalized and customized recommendation 
of a beauty routine to that particular client. And this is, of course, a great tool for, uh, for our salespeople in making sure that they make the very best possible recommendation to their customers uh, among all these products that you have to choose from uh, in, in, uh, that make up all, all of our beauty routines. What is really important and what we found is that this is a complex product and a complex set of product and that, that makes it even more important that, uh, that this is a tool that actually helps our brand partners to make the right recommendation as a seamless part of the shopping experience. It, uh, we found that when we try this out as a standalone application where you can uh, just get the recommendation on what you need when it's out of the shopping journey, then it is not as impactful as now when we have guided, uh, entered or integrated it well into how you actually buy the product. And uh, maybe just as important, the data we collect from, this, uh, from the tools and from our skin diagnostic sessions gives us a lot of improvement potential or improvement advice, both in terms of process as well as product uh, development in, uh, into the future. Wonderful. <clears throat> We're going to, uh, I'd love to see some results as well. I yeah. know uh, my favorite slide is coming up uh, soon. Right. Uh, maybe we should get into it because I'm curious about how this project, you've run this project, how many consumers have you actually reached and what has been the, the result? Right. And of course, the proof is in the pudding. And what, what we see is that we have already now, and this is a, a few months into to launching the, the product, and we're not even live in all of our 60 markets yet. So we have actually concluded more, or started more than 100,000 uh, sessions, but we have an 80% completion rate. So about 80,000 or 84,000 completed diagnostic sessions we have so far. And this, first of all, what, what it tells me is that it really catches on. I mean, with 80% of the started sessions actually leading to completed recommendation, uh, that means it's easy enough to understand and it's easy enough to use. Uh, then what is not part of this slide is that actually we have these 80,000 sessions that we have completed actually led so far to about 500,000 euros in sales of our beauty routines. Uh, so the Reveal Diagnostics tool is actually responsible for about 500,000 of, uh, of the total sales. Then we have bigger sales, and that's a different challenge for us, uh, is that uh, I think the communication itself of this new type of technology and the impact and the the trustworthiness it carries, uh, it's underestimated how much effort you need to put into that. I want to talk more about that, how, to, how you interact with the consumer with this, but maybe Mika, give your uh, reflection on this collaboration. And Is this a typical collaboration or is this... Uh, um... Yeah, so I think, of course, the business model is quite different to many, many other brands and retailers and so forth overall. But I think the same fundamentals that we always try to say to all of our kind of potential customers and customers is that it doesn't work as a, as a kind of a standalone tool or as a kind of something that you just put out there and forget about it. I think what uh, Marcus said as well, 
how to kind of integrate it into your existing business processes in the existing ways of how you conduct your business that's really how you can make kind of success out of it and here as well we have in a few months 80,000 people who've completed the journey uh, quite many of them have actually purchased products Oriflame now has data of almost 100,000 people they know their skin types their skin concerns their location so forth uh, what are the recommended products and what products they've been purchasing as well in a year we'll probably have a million of, of those people so that's obviously an amazing data set to start leveraging mm. that's where we are early days with oriflame still because we just started the partnership quite lately but once we then have millions and millions of customers that data is valued in gold essentially because that helps their business partners and 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 kind of them as a corporation to obviously generate more sales and, and kind of understand their customers way better as well Okay, so if, if you would like kind of summarize your, your key takeaway so far about this collaboration, what would you say then? Uh, I'd say that the, the impact of these uh, AI-infused diagnostic tools, mm. if you integrate them right, it's way underestimated. And as you said before, or you spoke about it before, it's really something we need to focus on in the future, also in other product categories, for sure. Uh, then the challenge in that, I believe it, First of all, to, to make sure to build the trust in this new process of having uh, an, an algorithm or a, a system or tech product actually take care of the recommendation of what to use. Right. Because previously you've gone to the store and you've tried it on and mm -hmm. uh, you use all your senses in, in order to, to get to the right recommendation. Now this is using different parameters, but with same, or in some cases even better result, depending on who your advisor is. So, so building trust, we need to focus a lot of energy on as soon or every time we launch a new type of beauty tech gadget or tool. Um, and then what we underestimated is also the communication. Uh, it does not, say, people don't find these tools and they are not convinced by themselves. You have to spell it out, what, what is available, where is it available, how does it work, and what's the takeaway for you as a customer to use mm. it. I'm fascinated by this kind of dynamic between we're implementing digital tools in, in what fundamentally at the end is a physical experience for, for the customers. Uh, I mean, Mika, I'm sure you think a lot about this. Uh, how, how do you bridge that, I don't know if you call it trust or, or uh, you know, adaptation or uh, just having the, the customer being more and more used to these types of systems in this process of, of you know, going, go, finding the product that they actually want to buy. Yeah, so I think, going to Marcus's point a bit as well, I think the customer appetite is there. Like with consumers, especially younger generations, they're super interested in trying virtually makeup on, on your, on your video feeds or doing diagnostics, getting new product recommendations, you want to get your new vegan products, you have, you go to Sephora or Kicks, you have no idea where to start from, you go to YouTube versus the retailers channels usually to figure that out. I think the customer or consumer appetite is there. I think it goes back to kind of uh, how do we convince whether it's beauty advisors that still drive whatever 70, 80% of the business is driven by in-store beauty advisors and so forth. How do you convince, for example, them that this is a beneficial tool for you to leverage in your customer service process. And often 
kind of there is a bit of that resistance of hey this is technology do i trust it do i trust what it recommends right, right. but essentially like we talk about ai recommendations for example at the end of the day that ai recommendation is built upon the same training the same logic that those beauty advisors would recommend products as well there's nothing like we are not using data from the whole world to come up with those recommendations we work with the brand to ensure that kind of we we do it in a bit more automated fashion. We leverage a lot more data than necessarily a beauty advisor would use to drive the recommendation, but pretty much in 100% cases, we'll get to the same end result in terms of the recommendation anyway. So I think it goes to kind of how those beauty advisors or who are ever is driving the sales, how to convince them that this is a kind of a tool and usually it goes back to well, of course, that it converts well, the average order values are big, but the data side of things, if you think about a typical engagement in a, you go to Stockman in Finland or Olens in, in, in Sweden, you engage with a beauty advisor, you buy the product, there's no link, no digital footprint of that interaction with the beauty advisor. Right. What we've done with someone like Shiseido globally, we're running thousand smart mirrors for them globally, especially in APAC region. Surprisingly, there's nothing in Europe. Everything is in APAC at the moment. But their beauty advisors are using a kind of a smart mirror with skin diagnostics, where the main goal is to get the user to link up their answers, their diagnostic results, their recommendations to their profile. And then Shiseido is converting, I think it's 25% of those customers later on as customers, not necessarily on that spot, but kind of building that digital link is, is something really, really important in that world as well. And getting to that data set, is, is, that's kind of the key to personalization. Uh, am I right? I mean, you, you need that data. You need that uh, uh, kind of bulk of data to start actually uh, giving more personalized um, diagnostics or advice to the consumer. Um, let's talk about some other ways that the data can help, uh, uh, you know, your, as a brand. Uh, I'm thinking maybe like supply chain, uh, making it more efficient, product development. Is this something you talk about in your collaboration or is it more like a crystal ball kind of, kind of thing? Yeah, uh, I, I think this uh, for sure will have maybe something that we understand from the start, but it, it will surely help us with the, with the supply chain of mm. production planning and forecasting because we have about 700 different combinations of, of uh, beauty routines that we're selling. Uh, and now when we've started actually getting these recommendations, people are perhaps a little bit more similar in their needs than, than we thought they would be. And, and we see that it's about 15 or 20 different combinations that are more common than others. And that will, of course, help us to, uh, if, if it's plan our production better, or do our forecasting, reduce our inventories. Uh, it, it, so, so that is also something that uh, came a little bit from the side that uh, was unexpected, at least for me. And I think, like, of course, getting sales, getting the immediate return on the investment like with any of our retail customers brand customers it needs to be there this is not just something that you can wait for three four years to get back the investment so like getting people to convert better getting them to buy more that that's kind of the short-term goal of things but if we think about the long-term partnerships that we have and we build over the years with different brands and retailers in the beauty space the kind of benefits or how do you actually get most out of the solution it goes to whether it's product development understanding better your customers what they're looking for what type of profiles they have 
using it for marketing purposes, understanding a bit more on on kind of what type of, of skin types and concerns and locations your, your, your people are at, or kind of might be also on a kind of a zero party data level overall that, hey, once you go through enough people and have a big enough sample size and, and, and kind of enough, enough people, when you launch new product, you launch a new acne product, rather than spreading it out to the masses and emailing every single customer of yours. If you know your customers, you know who are the Acne customers. Of course, yeah. it helps you to kind of in the future kind of do a lot more. So I think what we always try to emphasize as well that, okay, yes, the return on investment in short term needs to be there, but then it's typically trying to talk to your private label development or R&D people, to your marketing people, to your data insights people. I think everyone can leverage, especially the data that these type of solutions generate overall. And to close out, I'm curious to hear your kind of future forecast. What are some things that are in store in the future, uh, either uh, at your companies or in the industry at large? Uh, just a g g closing comments, Marcus. Uh, first of all, I think that the diagnostics trend, it, I mean, this is the, the one of the easier parts when we speak about skincare, analyze skin, your needs. Uh, answer a few questions uh, and get to the right recommendation. This is going to spread across several different product categories. We spoke, I think we spoke about foundation That's uh, and how to match that when you're not in the store, when you're digital and screens have different, uh, uh, they look different from each other, so it's difficult to match uh, foundation or lipstick shades or nail polish shades on screen. Uh, that is uh, one. Then it, uh, I'm sure this will also spill over into hair care all types of makeup as well, right. needless to say. Um, but uh, also I think that the try-on uh, approach or the trust in the try-on process will hopefully catch on a little bit more because now there are still people that are a little bit reluctant to it. Mm. Mika, I'm letting you have the, the last word. Uh, what's in the crystal ball? I know you're developing new stuff. I don't know how much you can reveal, but uh, five to three to five years. What new technologies are we seeing entering the market? Well, I think like from for us as a company, like our fundamental kind of vision is to be a, a platform for skin beauty, health, and wellness experiences. Because I think skincare is other things than just the physical products. It's your lifestyle. It's it's all of all of that as well. I have an aura ring on my on my finger as well that measures everything that I do could be used to drive skincare recommendations, product recommendations, whatever. I think that's that's one part. And the second part is then really um, kind of what we see is brands and retailers moving from the transactional nature of relationship to more of kind of relationship commerce. And what we've developed as well lately and launched with few, few kind of brands so far is we call it kind of a coach solution. You get the consumer to buy products. What do you do afterwards? Usually you do a bit of email remarketing, something you're trying to sell them more products, but how could you actually build an experience? Consumers are willing to sign up to your email lists and your my accounts and you get all the data about the consumer. How could you provide an experience back to them that gives them value based on the data? So allowing you to track how your skin evolves over time by taking selfies or, or giving input, getting seasonal recommendations when we go towards winter and it gets more dry. Of course, your kind of routines should change in skincare. So that's really kind of where we are building different technologies as well, beyond just 
single off-skin diagnostics and a purchase action, but how can you build that loyalty and retention? And I think that's going to be a big play in the future overall. Wonderful. Those are some great ideas for future beauty innovation talks. You want your taking notes, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mika Macchio from Revive and Marcus Fogel from Oriflame. I'm not going to read your titles again. Thank you so much for sharing your insight. All right, that was Mika Macchio from Revive and Marcus Fogel from Oriflame at Beauty Innovation Talks in Stockholm last week. All right, Johan, uh, great job on the first Stockholm edition of, of Beauty Innovation Talks. We already have the next one lined up. Uh, the official invites will go out next week. But if you subscribe to Beauty Innovation newsletter, you will get that straight in your inbox. Yeah, so to subscribe, it's uh, scandinavianmind.com slash beautyinnovation. And uh, yeah, the next event, we will um, go all things biotech. And I will also be on stage and we will handle the connection between science and skincare. So even more insights to come. Looking forward. All right. Thank you until next time.